0: My name's Craig Griffiths. And I'm Justin Blackett. And welcome to the 24th episode of PIPCAST, a podcast for
1: ODPs and the theatre world. A warm welcome to brand new listeners to PIPCAST. Where have you been? Uh, But you're in for a really good episode this week. And uh, a warm
0: welcome to you. And if you've been listening before, welcome back. Thank you for uh, staying with us through the uh through the episodes we have got a fantastic back catalogue if you haven't caught up with all the episodes of pipcast just head to our website www.pipcast.co.uk and you can have a look at our back catalogue of episodes there
1: so you might notice from the audio that we're in a slightly different location this time. Uh, it's basically the fact that both Craig and I decided that we'll meet at a pub, because yes. it is now just over a year ago that both Craig and I sat in this pub yep. and decided on the future of what is, as you now know it, Pipcast.
0: Yep, the, 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 the idea of Pipcast, the, the dream of Pipcast was, was essentially born here, uh, over a couple of pints which we're now enjoying now, and. Um, we use it as a double celebration. I've got a birthday coming up on Friday as well, so... Yes,
1: great. how old are you going to be on... Uh, in fact, tomorrow?
0: Yeah, um, I will be the ripe old age of 30
1: years old. 30? Yes. No longer a young man. No. not getting old. When I can speak, I'm 38 <laughs> this year. Um... But Craig, on behalf of Pipcast, I'd like to say happy oh, birthday to you. <laughs> I can't believe you did. That. That's uh, so very a very I've just presented him a present <laughs> on behalf of you guys the Pipcast listeners. He's going through my what is a bit of a shabby oh my God. decoration here, um, and now he's going through the bubble wrap, so it's guaranteed oh. to be fragile. Uh, Craig, what have you found? I have
0: found. Oh, God. That is insane, I have got my very own Craig from Pipcast action figure and that is outstanding. That is absolutely outstanding, I I cannot believe it, I'm taking a picture now with it.
1: And we'll share that photo (laughs) on social media. That is outstanding,
0: I can't believe that, that's so cool. Uh, of course, if you want one of these, you can't, because it's mine. <laughs> 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 happy birthday to me, thank Good you. No problem at all. So yeah,
1: happy birthday, 30. Enjoy. Yeah.
0: Enjoy. Um, well, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit flabbergasted. What, what are we going to look at today's
1: episode? Well, I think we need to work a kind of reference that the Theatre Cap Challenge is growing traction more and more, as yes. we see on social media. The two gods of promoting who they are and yeah. what they're called came together. Like two I titles. saw
0: on Twitter it was like this weird um, mashup of like Marvel versus Capcom of, of, of communication in theatres and healthcare. We had um, Chris from Hello My Name Is, who has already been on the show, um, and, and Rob Hackett, who has also done a piece for us on the show. Meeting together with a, with a nice
1: picture, um, sharing their it kind it of was quality. So great it was to was see both those people together. And of course, like Craig said, it's only right for us to, as, with, as Pipcast to promote that both of those amazing characters have spent the time on this show. Uh, well, include those links here in the show notes so you get to hear both their versions of what they're trying to promote which ironically eventually came together and so who thought theatre cap challenge and of course the hello my name is came together for a really good course also to remind you that the operating theatre journal
0: and afpp journals are now out and another thing on twitter that i saw um, from Draeger, who are doing a kind of white paper evidence based kind of uh, news website that they're now tweeting about I saw it as one of my promoted tweets and I don't usually click on those but it it was a really interesting one and we'll continue to link the the, the news and evidence pieces that they bring out uh, and maybe get one of their representatives on the show to talk about it
1: so it's very exciting and it is our Our purpose with Pipcast to engage with all of this kind of material that we see quite easily on social media but there's nothing quite like listening to some of those authors, some of those people behind the text Uh, and so we endeavour to ensure they feature on Pipcast so when you tune in to a future episode you will get to hear some of the information that's relevant to that topic
0: Uh, Now as you guys know we've been going on for just coming up to a year now obviously this being our anniversary kind of inception um episode us being at the pub Um, and we would love for you to give your love to us in a way um, love your ODP and therefore love your ODP podcast uh, by heading to the British Podcasting Awards Listener's Choice Vote. Uh, we've already tweeted about it. We'll continue to put the link in this show notes and keep retweeting. Uh, and you can vote for us. You search for, for search for Pipcast in the link and you can give your vote to us, uh, your ODP and theatre
1: podcast. They've got a subcontact, which of course is the Listener's Choice Award. Yeah. Uh, they've clearly got lots of little subcontact Categories, but it, the BritishPodcastingAwards.com has the opportunity for you to go to the Listener's Choice Award, uh, and if you search uh, Pipcast within the search entry bar that's there, uh, you can then vote for Pipcast.
0: We're the one without the cat as the yes. logo. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully you all know our logo. Yeah, pip.
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so vote closes on the 17th of May, and the competition ultimately closes on the 12th. So... Yeah. As we all know, when you rival a cat on the internet, you will lose. So uh, we'll see. Uh, But if you can show your love for us at PipCost, that would be much appreciated. Uh, Again, we'll put the link in our show next to allow you to engage with voting for us. It's a very simple and easy process.
0: Now, in uh, just over a month or just under a month's time, we will have a very special day. We keep talking about it, and and that is the. inaugural ODP day now there was some news on this on Twitter I don't know if you saw it just in this week that at the most recent Unison meeting yeah, um, a lady by the name Lucy Knightley and we're going to have to remember her name because we will be all be thanking her um, uh, put a motion forward at the Unison meeting to make National ODP day an annual event Uh, and that has been passed unanimously by Unison so the 14th of May forever will be uh, annual ODP day.
1: That in itself is incredibly excited. I kind of assumed that was going to happen anyway. Well, yeah, but yeah, can't it's nice be to too have sure. It. No, you can't be too sure because these two days, these days yeah. do change but it's great to hear that and and that links beautifully to let you know as you might have seen already on social media uh, that we are planning on running an episode before this season completes purely and ultimately covering the great work that you guys the the listeners uh, are putting together to promote uh, the ODP day
0: yeah that's right so we want you to send us your audio your video everything for the day that we can compile uh, into a podcast episode and keep retweeting you on social media uh, and really following your progress throughout the day we want to hear from you this is your show this is your profession we want to hear what you're doing
1: now yeah, both craig and i will be busy on the day uh, in our local hospital promoting the uh, the, the work that we do uh, we have um got the opportunity to take over the trust social media uh, and every day there will be an odp that will be showcased in, uh, showcased um, with regard to what they're up to including some of the ODPs like myself that have broke that mould and yeah. gone into other areas so people can appreciate that ODPs come in all different shapes and sizes so on the day we will have a live broadcast uh, we will be available on Periscope so this is the kind of stuff that we're doing yeah. um, and a bit of a good news story Craig is that I've managed to speak to the uh, AHP lead for UH Bristol this is where we work uh, and uh, reminded her quite positively that we're now part of her fold uh, <laughs> and has now started the conversations with the relevant ODP um, uh, nursing and leaderships yeah. to try and engage our presence within our trust so Do you know what? Just from a simple idea of having an ODP day has created a communication within just our trust, but let alone anywhere else.
0: And guys, this is about you getting our profession into the public eye. It's not just about cakes in the department on the day. This is about us getting out there, telling the public what we do. So actually, when you get that question, what is an ODP? People know already. Um, And maybe that can help us showcase and develop our skills and promote us in areas like Hannah Abbott was talking about talking with NHS England, putting us in areas like A&E, ITU or any other places that ODPs might be needed, even though uh, uh, currently the, the areas don't know the skills that we
1: have. So like Craig said, we want to hear from you and even if it is just a quick um, little bit of text that we'll collate together and showcase throughout the episode, but actually if you're daring enough, you've all got voice recorders on your Android and iPhone devices, so load it up familiarise yourself with it and just give us a quick five minute chat of what you've been up to, let's have a real fantastic montage of great content to celebrate uh, the first and Thankfully, future ODP yeah.
0: Please record all you can. You can send all of that content into us at www.pipcast.co.uk by clicking on our email link or just email us directly, odppipcast at gmail.com.
1: Hi, my name's Chris Poynton, co-founder of the hashtag Hello my Name is campaign, and you're listening to Pipcast.
0: So, talking about ODPs breaking the mould, Justin, I believe you have been in touch with an ODP who... Shattered the mould somewhat
1: Yeah, well on podcast you know that we like to reach out to all of you All of you that do something just ordinary Because that's always great to hear from you But also ODPs that do break the mould And on social media it's very apparent that you guys do like to be loud and proud About what you get up to Uh, And ultimately we have found an ODP called Tim Barrow um, who is one of those ODPs that have literally broke the mould and what he does now has nothing to do with working in an anaesthetic room <laughs> scrubbing up or even working in a, in a post anaesthetic care unit in fact to the degree he's in a job now that's been benefited from the very fact that he did break the mould and follow a route into being a field medic as an ODP. Yeah. Uh, so uh, finding him was gold uh, and it was fantastic to talk to him to try and inspire you guys to maybe engage with that if you think that is for you. This is Park. So next on Pipcast is one of those ODPs that truly have broken the mould of the operating department practice. Um, We do like to feature ODPs that have done a little bit more than what you would normally expect us to do. Uh, And our next uh, guest, Tim Barrow, who is an ODP that has just done that. Now, I'm not going to give too much away because I want Tim to kind of show you and demonstrate his story to you. But you just scratch the surface of social media and you see his profile picture and his Twitter page is full of him standing in front of aeroplanes and four by fours and my it's an amazing story so we've got him on the show tim hello how are you
2: hi justin thanks very much for having me on the show
1: well thank you for spending the time to talk to us on pip so tim welcome to the show um so tim let's let's work out what what do you what do you do now what is your current job
2: so basically my current job at the moment i'm a medical manager for a company called Survitech. tech um I very much doubt anyone in the ODP community would have come across this company before. I certainly hadn't. Um, But the company uh, essentially makes survival um, aids for the sort of private sector, predominantly maritime, aerospace, and defense. So they make life rafts, uh, life jackets, submarine escape suits, fighter pilot suits, and all these other weird and wonderful things. Um, and I was recruited to the company in November to head up their medical division, which was quite new. No, I've, I've
1: been on your. I've been on the company's website, and it is quite impressive. It's boys and their big toys. I have to say, you go on there, and we'll we'll include the link in our show notes. It is quite an impressive company, and if you're responsible in delivering uh, some of that uh, content, that's 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 pretty amazing. But. You, you didn't just walk into that role. You don't just go from working in theatres to that role. You have clearly done a lot between qualifying and uh, and being where you are now. So let's rewind the clock. Let's go right back to the time when uh, you qualified. Um, and, and, and let's go through that story. So when did you qualify?
2: So I qualified way back now in 2007, Okay. Um, which seems quite a long time ago now. Yeah, it feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs> Certainly does. Um, Yeah, so I graduated from Birmingham City University um, along with Lee Rickards, who I know was a a guest speaker on the show previously.
1: Yeah, Lee Rickards is a big fan of Pipcast, and uh, guys, we'll put a link into the show notes so you can go back and listen to Lee's story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I worked in the NHS um, post qualification for about 18 months. Um, I then decided that uh, I'd move across to the private sector Uh where I worked for the Nuffield Health Group for about two and a half years
1: oh wow you you Um, made you made the big step moving away from the NHS which in itself can be quite traumatic um but I guess it, it was a way of evolving yourself and moving on to new things
2: yeah absolutely um and it's just an opportunity to develop some new skills um and just see how the other side of the fence sort of Work in comparison to the NHS. Yeah, um,
1: it's very, it's very healthy, isn't it, to have that kind of relationship. To yeah, see you get, you
2: get a, a balanced view of both private and and NHS. Sense, I think it makes you a more sort of grounded practitioner. Fantastic. So good move. Yes, yeah, so I worked there for two and a half years. I okay. reached uh, the sort of position of uh, clinical lead, or within the NHS, that I'd be a theatre manager. Wow. Wow. Um, that's, that's and cool. I made the risky decision to um, leave. And I pursued a career in this sort of remote medicine world. Um, uh, now, is that
1: something that you've always been interested in, kind of before ODP world? Or was that something that kind of grew in interest as you as you moved through the career?
2: It was definitely something that, that grew. I wasn't aware of remote medics when I first sort of qualified as, a, as an ODP. Okay. And I sort of made contact with um, a company that specialised in running Sort of clinical education courses to allow people to venture into that sort of field. Okay. And I finally just plucked up the courage one day just to get in touch with them
1: and decided after that phone call that that was going to be the the sort of uh, profession that I wanted to pursue. So so here you were, you were an ODP that has qualified 2007. You've decided to make the move from the NHS into the Nuffield and you were in a position that some people can only dream about at times, which is kind of being a theatre manager, clinical lead. And you got to that point and decided it's time for a change. And so Offshore Remote Medic was calling for you. So what, what is an offshore remote medic? What is that?
2: So basically, it's um, a healthcare professional yeah. or military medic yeah. that has um, done further training, um, which is currently a two-week course of classroom-based um, lessons and exams, mainly focusing on things like um pre-hospital trauma life support, advanced cardiac life support, primary health care, and a little bit of travel and tropical medicine. So it's quite an intense two-week course, very enjoyable. Yeah. And you then go and attend two weeks of sort of clinical placements. So you do sort of five days in acute area, normally A&E, and then you do five days in a primary health care sort of setting, normally a GP or an out-of-hours sort of GP setting. So that was the sort of... Um, the, the ticket to get, really.
1: And, and during those courses, were I mean did the ODP training give you a good grounding to allow you to develop that?
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So things like your, your basic anatomy and physiology, pharmacology, um, those that have done things like ALS in the past, those are all good things that you can bring to the course. Um, with regards to the pre-hospital trauma um, course and the other pre-hospital-based elements of the course, that was where I learned the most because I didn't have that much experience in those fields at the time. So um, I would say to any ODP that's looking to get into that field, um, you know, go and speak to your paramedics, speak to those that have ventured out into um, the pre-hospital world and they can give you some really good advice. Um, and there are ODPs that are actively working now on um, sort of care teams and things like that pre-hospitally. So it's well worth um, having a word with those organisations to try and get a little bit of experience and exposure to those sort of clinical settings. Well,
1: fantastic. Well, Tim, I will ensure that we include your contact details uh, in the show notes. So as if, if there is an ODP out there that is inspired in only what is the beginning of your journey, and then they can get in contact with you. And of course, you can signpost them appropriately. So here you are doing your various courses um, to engage in the offshore remote medic training. Um, how was the whole process of people acknowledging you as an ODP? Was that an easy process?
2: No, it wasn't actually. It, it was quite a, a challenge. Okay. Um, it took took me about three months to get my first um, sort of contract in the remote medic world Um, and on numerous occasions I would be um, knocked back purely because um, you're often dealing with people in HR who aren't familiar with what an ODP is and what we do and what our clinical sort of skills are and the fact that we're actually professionally registered. So um, it was quite a, a laborious task of having to explain what an ODP is and, you know, forever sending links and doing my best to explain this. But eventually, common sense prevailed and I got my first contract with a company called Frontier Medics, who kindly um, shipped me off to northern Iraq.
1: Wow. Of all the places to go, that's where you were going. (laughs) And how was that? Your first contract, uh, northern Iraq, off you went. (laughs) Finally, someone's agreed that you are worthy of their contract uh, so, first time out about it as a as a medic, um, how was that?
2: It was a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, okay. I was sort of uh, sent out to sort of Frankfurt, where I met up with two of the uh, mountaineering um, colleagues that I'd be working with, um, and we arrived in in Erbil, in a you know sort of semi-hostile part of the world, picked up by an armed escort, and then transferred to um, our sort of uh, fly camp. Uh, in the middle of, you know, this mountainous region in the middle of nowhere, really. Wow. Um, and then we, our sort of living accommodation was um, sort of trailer cabins, very basic sort of bunk bed style, um, communal sort of shower blocks, um, I can ask, um, it,
1: it makes on-call accommodation look like a luxury. <laughs>
2: oh, it's like a five-star hotel, yeah, if you can get an on-call room, definitely.
1: Oh, goodness me. I, mean, I think we can all relate as ODPs to on-call accommodation and the uh, standards <laughs> yeah. that we are expected to uh, endure at times. But you are in another world with what you're having, what you're describing there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was quite sort of remote living. Um food was very basic. It was sort of chicken and rice three times a day. And inevitably, um, I contracted ten days worth of uh, DNV, um, which wasn't good because you know the ambient temperatures would reach sort of fifty degrees in in sort of middle of the in middle of the day in, the, in sort of summertime. So um, I was having to sort of you know medically manage myself as well as uh, the teams that are working out on the ground, doing sort of seismic surveys and things like that. So. Um, from a clinical perspective, it was mainly um, primary healthcare issues that I was dealing with. Okay, yeah. Um, I had a couple of clinical emergencies at trauma-based um, accidents, <coughs> um, and in terms of equipment, um, I just had sort of a trauma bergen, uh, a basic scoop stretcher, oxygen, life pack 15. Um, some basic primary healthcare medications and um, topside support in the form of uh, a phone number to uh, a doctor based out of a hospital in Johannesburg. So you really are kind of out there by yourself having to make <coughs> yeah. um, some quite difficult clinical decisions, which normally in, in a hospital environment that would be done by um, you know a medical practitioner or an advanced nurse practitioner at the minimum. So um, you really have to be confident in in certainly your differential diagnosing um, and some of the other sort of softer skills that traditionally as an ODP we're, we're not sort of um, expected to do. So that was a really steep learning curve for me.
1: So that, that does sound amazing. So you, you're you there to provide medical support for the staff as part of the company, but I guess at times you're going to have to provide support to the, the community as well.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's always a tricky one because mm. obviously we're, we're part of um, – you know, quite a large oil and gas company, uh, or a sort of seismic company, that have uh, contracted to an oil and gas company. So you stick out like a sore thumb. It's a quite a large camp. Yeah. Um, the local population; it's a rural population. Um, you know, quite a poor sort of region. So obviously, a bit of hearts and minds. You would get locals that would um, try and get into sort of camp to to utilise the the services that we have. And it all boils down to, to the, the company policies as to whether or not you're allowed to treat the local population because there are lots of issues around when does the, the care for that person stop. You know, are we then going to evacuate them to to other parts and other regions of the world if they require emergency surgery and things yeah. like that? So okay. it's it's a real ethical sort of dilemma really obviously yeah, yeah. coming from a healthcare profession yes I'd really. like to think that we've all got you know um, a soft heart we want to help people but yeah. there are times where you've got to sort of um, take a step back and and sometimes not get involved because there are lots of other risks associated with treating local populations um, so it's, it's something that's it's tricky to weigh up but again you have to stay within company policy and no, cool. SOPs with the companies you work for
1: Okay, so, I mean, this, this job itself sounds like you can't have a life other than your job. I mean, were you able to have relationships? I mean, did you have a girlfriend or did you... I mean, how does that work? How does that fit in your life? Because being uprooted for length of time away from normal society must be quite challenging.
2: Yeah, I mean, you've got to have um, the support of your, of your family. Yeah. Um, my wife, who was then my girlfriend... Okay. Um, she's kind of obviously got used to me, uh, being here, there and everywhere, yes. um, Very as a result of this Very profession. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, most contracts, you're sort of away for, um, six to eight weeks at a time. Yeah. Um, you're often home for the same sort of period of time. So you're home for six to eight weeks. So, um, you do get quite a lot of time off. Um, they're in large chunks, so it's a good opportunity to maintain your ODP skills by either doing agency shifts or joining the bank at a local hospital, just to maintain those those core skills. Which is something that um, I've done throughout, really, just to maintain those yeah, those uh, know, those ODP yeah. specific skills.
1: No, that's a that's a really good idea. So, I mean, that was your first contract, and you've been you know over the next six years. Where where did the job find you? Where did you go?
2: So, I've been really fortunate. I've been to some really um, stunning parts of the world so yeah. following on from Kurdistan um, I've, I've then worked in uh, Kenya providing medical care to the BBC Natural History Unit and Sir David Attenborough wow. so that was probably the best job that I've been on and obviously the highlight of my yeah. both personal and professional career um, very lucky for that um, I've worked in Algeria I've worked in Guyana which is a, a little uh, country in South America so I've okay. providing medical care in the jungle for a Discovery Channel documentary. Oh. Um, I've been to Tunisia on working on a vessel, on a, a support vessel, which was supporting uh, a gas rig in sort of six hours off the Tunisian coast. Okay. Um, I've been back to Kurdistan numerous times. I've been to Patagonia twice. I've been to India. I've been to the Himalayas. Um, so, in terms of environments, I've been to, to sort of most environments, bar sort of extreme cold, really. So I've done deserts, jungles, high altitude, wow. mountains, deserts. So pretty much everywhere, really.
1: And a million miles away from an anaesthetic room. That does sound amazing. Um, so, uh, what other clinical courses have you managed to engage with to kind of enhance your role as a as a as an offshore medic?
2: So, in, in addition to the sort of offshore medic's course. Um, I've maintained the sort of PHTLS course, ACLS course. Um, I'm also heavily involved in sort of clinical education. So um, I regularly teach on sort of travel, tropical expedition medicine type courses. I've done my paediatric advanced life support course, um, a difficult airway course, um, tactical combat casualty care. So these are all courses that I mean you can Google these courses and there are numerous providers uh, within the UK and overseas that run these courses. But if listeners do want to get in touch, I can give them an unbiased sort of um, advice on on the sort of better companies to go to and and sort of what courses to do and what not to do because they are quite expensive. You're investing a lot of time and money, so you don't want to sort of end up spending. Sort of money that isn't going to lead to any sort of career progression, so it's yeah. something just to bear in mind,
1: yeah, understandable, but essential courses uh, with that as well, so no again, the, the listeners will get in contact, so from a pay point of view, I mean what, what is that incentive? I guess it, it there's got to be a reasonably good wage to engage with <laughs> with with literally ripping yourself out of the country and doing all of that kind of work. It can't just purely be the interest
2: yeah, I mean there are. Um, financial rewards it's certainly a lot better paid than um than that of you know if you stayed in the nhs yeah. um so in terms of you, you normally get you paid a day rate uh, is the most common way of getting paid you're, you're sort of a freelance contractor if you like that's subcontracted out to, to larger companies um so day rates can vary anywhere between 250 a day it's normally paid in dollars or all the way up to about 600 a day so that's the sort of range that i've been paid um so you can do the maths on that, you know, if you're yeah. away for 28 days at, at say, $500 a day, yeah. and you, but you're only working sort of half of the year. So that's the other thing to bear in mind. Yeah. There are financial incentives, but you also get a significant amount of time off as well. So that's quite a big driver for me was having, you know, the opportunity to spend sort of quality time at home, yeah. and not have to do on calls when you're at home. That's it. You're off and, and you know, you do get a lot of quality time.
1: Fantastic. Well, that sounds grand. So, I mean, you've done all of that, and I guess that opened doors to other opportunities uh, within that kind of world. And, and, and of course, you then landed a position working with the company that you are now as, as a medical manager. And I guess all your previous experiences made you a prime candidate for that position.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was sort of um, headhunted really on the back of um, a networking event that I went to. Okay. Um, just out of my own interest I did a security and risk management course Um, and part of that course you're then automatically enrolled into the uh, alumni of of this group so I thought I'd go along to this networking event I literally met um, who's now my boss basically literally a five-minute conversation and then six months later whilst I was out in Kurdistan I got an email and was sort of approached about this position Um, and that's all based on on Sort of my clinical experience, the fact that I'm a registered healthcare professional, but also because I've invested a lot of time and money in myself to be able to sort of push the boundaries and do extra sort of clinical courses and visit parts of the world and be exposed to, to different sort of clinical presentations. Yeah. So I've got quite a, a bit of experience that I was able to, to bring to this current position, which is you know probably the main reason why I was I was recruited into this role really.
1: Well, it it sounds fantastic, Tim. What a career you have had. I mean, such a story there. And thank you very much for sharing that with us. Um, And if our listeners are interested in contacting you, what is the best way to do that, Tim?
2: So the best way to get in touch with me would be through my personal email, which is tpbarrow at hotmail.com.
1: Lovely. We'll put that in the show notes so they can contact you. But you are on you are on Twitter as well, aren't you? And uh, again, we yeah
2: on account. social media. Yeah, you'll be able to track me down on track there you if you down. just type in Tim Barrow and and I'll I'll pop up for sure.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Tim. Is there any last word you want to say to our listeners? Um,
2: I would just say that if 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 ODPs are getting a little bit um, stale in their current positions. Then do look outside of the NHS as well for positions. Um, It's a big world out there. I've been really fortunate being able to visit some, you know, remarkable parts of the world and work with some amazing people. So um, don't just sort of pigeonhole yourself into working in
1: theatres or working within hospital environments. There, there are plenty of other opportunities out there. You've just got to take that leap of faith and 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 go for it. Really. Well, thank you, Tim, once again for spending some time with us on Pipcast. I hope you. You've reached out to some of our listeners that are inspired by your story uh, and, and might be um, following your footsteps.
2: Well, let's hope so, definitely.
0: This is Danny Corrine, and you're listening to Pipcast. Well, what an interesting uh, 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 and and um,
1: story career he's had so far, Justin. Yeah, really, actually... really good. I mean, I was really impressed with his journey yeah. uh, and learning out how learning how he he did break that mould. He yeah. stepped out of that environment. Uh, clearly, from an early age in his career, he was very keen on pursuing something different. Yeah. Um, you know, stepping out of the NHS into the private sector is a massive huge. Uh, of step yeah. um, that ultimately takes you into a new world, yeah. and there's a very different culture in the private sector working in the periodic environment. And it just it, it just goes to show
0: what you can do if you do maybe look a bit outside the box, particularly as an ODP, he, he managed to to, to to sell himself and his skills, yeah. um, obviously it no doubt took a bit of work, he had to go on a few extra courses, it you know, yeah. cost him a bit of money yeah, yeah. in that respect. Um, that's really interesting to see. And it, I would love that if NHS departments and trusts could push practitioners to actually maybe go and do some extra things to help enrich the learning and, 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 the, and the, the experience of people coming back into their departments.
1: It would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But I guess as a manager, you are always going to be focusing on the delivery of yeah. what you want to do and yeah, actually absolutely. those courses that he's engaged with that he referenced. Would it make the patient's experience better, meaning that they come into theatres, have their procedure and go home positive? And and, and you can see why people don't invest in ODPs for that. But I think you, the listeners, and you, Craig, absolutely appreciate some of the human factors, the non-technical skills that get taught on some of these courses, really do enhance you as an interprofessional.
0: And yet again, it's one of those things uh, of ODPs going uh, outside the box, going outside of theatres. I know people, and we've talked about this before at the the SHU conference, about uh, what's wrong with staying in theatres, and there's nothing wrong with staying in theatres. No. Um, But just... As, as our, our nursing colleagues have different avenues to go into when you maybe reach that career um, uh, sort of uh, plateau and you want to try something a bit different or refresh yourself yeah. um, it 's great to see that we 've got so many avenues coming coming up now we 've had Tom Mann in the emergency department yourself as a resource officer. We have yeah. lecturers that have been on the show yeah. and now this field medic is absolutely outstanding.
1: But time and time again, we are totally at the mercy of ODPs pushing those boundaries. The career yes. pathway of an ODP it, it can be very blurred. Yes. And, and thankfully, you know, we've covered it in the past. Some of the you, the, the, the standardised terms that we want to explore, a, yeah. a, a, a framework that we covered in our previous episodes, will only reinforce that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's exciting times and it's really, really fantastic to hear ODPs pushing those boundaries I don't know about you Craig but you know when I, when I hear NAs and people who want to engage with academia with the university and they, they know a little about ODPs but they also know a lot about nursing staff and when they get career advice from senior members of staff and they're always presented with if you want to work in theatres be an ODP yeah. but if you want to work anywhere else be a nurse yeah, and, and that's so wrong now because yeah. there's so many ODPs that have burst that bubble and explored other areas. Absolutely,
0: and, and hopefully we're trying to sort of shed light on these. But I think you're right, and I think that's not just new practitioners. I think that's old practitioners. I, I know I'm speaking to colleagues who say, you know, maybe they wish they'd done nursing, or, or, or actually they they feel that nursing would offer them more opportunities, and that is the case. But with more trailblazers, yes. we will we will get there. Um, and there's, again, nothing wrong with nursing, nothing wrong with the nursing courses or anything like that. And someone's having a birthday.
1: Yeah, I know. Which is it's great. What does happy birthday. <laughs> Have a birthday? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: so once again, thank you to Tim. We would love hearing those stories. If, if you've got a story similar to Tim, please get in touch with us. Even if you've got something completely different, you work in a completely different area with your ODP skills and degree, please get in contact with us. You can go to our website, www.pipcast.co.uk. Click on any of the social media links if you want to get in touch with with us or just email us ODPPipcast at gmail.com uh, and we would love to hear from you.
1: This is
0: um, so that's it for another week of Pipcast. Uh, we've got we're counting down the episodes now Justin uh, to go before the end of the season Um, and next week's episode is a really special one, actually it's one we've been talking about pretty much since we started the show, particularly with all the events that have happened um, since we started the show um, in Manchester and and London attacks and things like that Um, we have always wanted to do an episode on mental health and information around that Um, and we're Delighted to have interviewed uh, Chris Van Hecht from the KU Leuven Institute, who are focused solely on research into um, second victim syndrome and the effects that has on the practitioner. Um, so this is really it's a really interesting interview. There are some scary statistics, I would say, from yeah. from the interview that, that, that we heard. Um, some some frightening, but in some ways also not unsurprising statistics Um, it's an episode I don't think anyone should miss I think particularly if you can show it to your department heads, your um, team leaders um, because this is an issue that is happening. Um, second victim syndrome is a thing that is becoming more and more prevalent, particularly in the NHS, with uh, extra stresses, winter pressures. Um, so please uh, come on in the next and uh, the next episode and listen to that.
1: Um, we'd be delighted to hear from you about it. It's guaranteed to be a great episode. I mean, you know as well as everyone else as listeners, your mental health is really important to us, uh, as we clearly covered um, right at the beginning of this series. Um, uh, and this might open up some of those thought processes that mm. will make you realise why you're feeling like you do. Um, even listening to the episode, listening to the interview uh, that Craig did amazingly well. Um, uh, it really got me thinking about some of those situations where even now it still lives with me. Yeah. Um, and, and this allows you to appreciate that it's all very normal. but. No more spoilers. There's so much more for you to listen to during that interview. So tune in to Pipcast episode 25 um, on the next Pipcast Thursday. We'll see you then.
0: This is Pipcast.